I completely believe that people have been victimized, but I don't believe that we have to keep a victim mentality. And in fact, I believe that's the one thing we have control over. You can't control what happens to you, but you can look at it differently and realize that it's not about what happens to you. It's about whatever's happening to you. God somehow can intercept it and get involved in it and turn it into something for you rather than something to you. And that perspective shift, that perspective shift changes everything and it changes the trajectory of your life. We have to stop living on the assumption that the world is fair, that life is fair. It's not. The world's not fair. Life's not fair. People aren't fair. Parents aren't fair. Teachers aren't fair. Businesses aren't fair. Let me tell you, nobody's fair. And you know what? You better be glad God's not fair either, because if he were fair, then we would all get what we deserve. Hell. But because God is merciful, not fair, because God is good. Not don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't lack fairness. He just he just measures it out differently. He takes all of our all of the curse and all of the punishment of our sin and all of the judgment that we deserve. And he places it upon Jesus on the cross and he takes it for us and he gives us and God gives us all the blessing that belong to Jesus Christ. The, the father gives it to us. Though it belongs to Jesus, he gives it to us the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. He takes all of our sin, gives us all of his righteousness, takes all of the curse, gives us all of his blessing, takes all of the poverty, gives us all of his provision, all of the lack and gives us all of his abundance. He takes all of the fear, gives us all of the faith, takes all of the depression, gives us all of the joy. And the more you realize who you now are in Christ, the less you are ever going to be victimized by whatever has victimized you in the past. You don't have to be scarred the rest of your life by the abuse you've had. Turn your scar into a star and realize, you know, what happened to me is going to somehow turn into something for me. God's going to turn what happened to me into something for me. This mindset will equip you to handle anything in life. We are not victims anymore. We are victors in Christ more than conquerors. This has got to be your mindset. This, look, we got to start setting the thermostat at victory, setting the thermostat at more than a conqueror. We are not thermometers reading whatever temperature is given to us. We're thermostats setting the temperature right where God said to set it. And that's what everything in our lives will rise up to. God has given us some authority in this life. You set the temperature, you set the thermostat at expecting love, love and more love, expecting good, expecting blessing. And then everything rises to where you set the thermostat at. But yet in our in our Christianity, like we do this in our car, we do this in our house, we do this in our apartment, we do this in our office. If you have the if you have the thermostat, you you know you're in control of the atmosphere. But in your life, you think that somebody else has control. Why? Because you think somebody else is controlling the thermostat. But guess what? You control the thermostat of your life by what you expect.
Sometimes it's a blessing when a person disappoints you. Because we, you know, nobody likes to be disappointed, do we? But sometimes it's really a blessing when somebody disappoints you because it forces you to have to trust something bigger than that person. Sometimes it's a blessing when somebody let you down because God will never let you down. Why are we looking to people to never let us down? God's the only one that will never let us down. I can think of Viktor Frankl, who was one of the Holocaust survivors years ago. And if you compare his suffering to whatever suffering you or I have been through, uh, we should be throwing a party every day, falling on our knees, thanking God that we didn't go through that. But there's something that he said that was very, very powerful that every one of us needs to learn. And that is the one freedom that nobody can take from you is the power to control one's attitude in any given situation. The power to control one's attitude in any given situation. You have the power to choose what kind of life you're going to live. You have the power to choose whether you're going to have a God filled life or a God less life. That is your choice. That is your power. And the devil wants you to think that's up to God when God has already provided salvation for everybody. He's provided healing for everybody. He's provided victory for everybody. But you have to choose to be uh, to agree with God that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. The whole Christian life is all about one thing. It's all about coming into agreement with God and that that all failure in life comes from disagreeing with God, not because God needs you to agree with him to make him feel better, but because he's right and his word works. And so when I come into agreement with his way of thinking, I have peace because his way of thinking is the is the most effective way at experiencing peace. His way of believing is the most effective way of experiencing joy. His way of praying is the most effective way of getting results. His way of speaking is the most effective way to make the mountain move. In Romans 10, verse nine, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That word confess It's not a confession of sin. He's not even talking about sin. He's saying confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This word confess, it it, it, it comes from the Greek word, which means to agree with, to harmonize with, to 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 say the same thing as what he's saying is. When you say Jesus is Lord, that is the first time that you have come into agreement with God. And that's what saves you is you have you agree that Jesus died for your sins and rose from dead. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He already is Lord. But when you agree, you activate the power of salvation in your life. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says this for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. That word two edged means twice spoken. It literally is translated as mouthed twice or twice spoken. So here's the power of God's word. God's word becomes effective 
when it's spoken twice, once by God makes it living and once by you makes it active. We can't give the word of God life, but we can make the word of God active in our life. God makes it living. We activate it. God made it alive. We make it active. When it came out of God's mouth, it was the word of God. It became living. When it comes out of your mouth, it becomes active. It goes to work on your behalf. That's why the Bible says you shall speak to the mountain, command it to be moved and it will obey you. You can speak to the dry bones and prophesy to the dry bones life and they will come back together. Those dry bones. You can pray like Elijah who stopped the rain for three and a half years. Why? Because God already God's word already is alive, but we make it active when we speak it out of our mouth because death and life are in the power of the tongue or the activation of the tongue. Your tongue is the activator of God's word. Your tongue is the activator that causes God's word to begin to work in your life and cut through stuff. It becomes two edged when you speak it. It's got one edge because God spoke it. It's got the other edge because you spoke it. Now it goes to cut things up, man. It cuts up sickness. It cuts up mountains. It, 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 call, it brings light out of darkness, life out of death. Oh, man. If you could only know how powerful you are right now, you'd never feel like a victim another day in your life. We have to realize how Satan works in people's lives is to oppress us into the mistaken belief that we can't do anything about our situation. This is how Satan operates. He gets you to 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 adopt a mistaken belief that you can't do anything about your situation. And yet the Bible says I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I have the power of a sound mind, the power of love. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the power of my words. I have the power of life and death in my tongue. I have the power to pray. We all have this power, but Satan wants us to feel overpowered by life and powerless. When Jesus approaches this man in John chapter five, remember, this man has been lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus, when he comes up to him, he doesn't say, do you do you think I want you well? He doesn't say, do you think it's my will for you to be well? He says, do you want to get well? Do you want now? I'm going to say something really controversial here. If I'm your pastor, trust me, because I will not I will not let you down on this. I promise you what I'm about to say is biblical, but it's not going to sound biblical. (laughs) And here it is. The Lord's prayer is not our prayer. We do not need to pray the Lord's prayer because that prayer has been answered. Our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can you can do that part. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus did that part. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus said the kingdom of God is now in your midst 
And Paul says in Romans chapter 14, by the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is inside of you and it is not eating. It's not what we eat and drink. It's not the rules. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in you. That's why he said to the disciples to pray the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. And God's will was done the same way that when your will is done, your will is only done. Your will only goes into effect. Your last will and testament only goes into effect when you die. So Jesus Christ's last will and testament only goes into effect when he died. So the will is done. The moment Jesus dies on the cross and says it is finished, the will is done. The testament is done. The covenant is made. The blood has been shed. Now you have it's been bequeathed to you. It has been bestowed to you. All of the possessions that Jesus owned, he has given them to you upon his death. He has said, My last will and testament means all of my sons and daughters, anybody that calls on my name now has my name, has my authority, has my healing, has my salvation, has my deliverance, has my righteousness, has my breakthrough, has my answered prayer, has my faith, has my anointing, has my power, has my ability, has my love, has my goodness, has my grace, has my justification, has my righteousness, has my holiness, has my authority. You have it all because Jesus died and the will was done. Thy will be done. It's done. Now walk in it. You get up and you speak to the mountain because you have now you have been given the name above all names. You can speak in his name. You can say to the mountain, you can prophesy to the dry bones. You can speak to the rain. You can speak to the sickness. You can speak to the fear. You can speak to whatever it is. And you have been given the power that Jesus walked in. Jesus said, he said, the works that I do shall you do also and greater, not greater in quality, but greater in quantity, because now all of us can do it. I don't have authority to speak to the mountain because I'm a pastor. I have authority to speak to the mountain because I got a tongue. And so do you. The devil is oppressing people by getting them to have a victim mentality. And Jesus sets this man free. He exposes the man's victim mentality. He says, do you want to be well? John chapter five, verse seven. Jesus said, do you want to be well? And the man's do you want to be well is a yes or no question. Do you want to be well? And the man says in verse seven, "Um, well, I have no one to help me. Wait. Jesus question wasn't, do you have anybody to help you? His question was, do you want to get well? The man's answer was, I have no one to help me. This is the victim mentality right here. Jesus asks you the question. It's already my will is done. I want you well. I paid for you to be well. He's saying that to us today. 
after resurrection, A.D., after the resurrection of Jesus, you have power, you have authority. He paid for it all. So now the question is, do you want it? And when you start making excuses, well, but I have no one and nobody can help me. And the angel comes and then somebody else gets in the pool. And I've been here 38 years. Jesus said enough is enough. I'm going to have mercy on you. Get up, pick up your bed and walk. I'm done with you having a victim mentality. Take a step. I'm done with you living like a victim. Get up, do something about your situation. Get up right now and start walking. And he gets up and he's completely healed. And Jesus catches him. Listen to how important this is. This is so important because the victim mentality is where we're blaming other people for feeling miserable. We're easily offended. We have a life is against me philosophy. We think others are trying to purposely hurt us. We're not lighthearted. We don't have a sense of humor. We take everything what people say way too seriously. When things go right, we have something to complain about. When things go wrong, we have even more to complain about. We feel powerless and unable to cope with life in general. We feel attacked continually. When given constructive criticism, we feel like somebody is angry with us or we feel like somebody is, is, is making us feel bad or condemning us when really they're giving constructive criticism. This is how the mentality operates that stays the same. If you want to stay the same for 38 years, then this is how you think. If you want to break out of this, this life of mediocrity, then you have to you have to ditch this thinking. This is the sin that Jesus is talking about. When Jesus finds this guy, look at what he look at what happens. The guy gets healed, right? Jesus heals him. Now, verse nine, he picks up his mat and he walks. Verse 14, Jesus finds him in the temple. Now, that should tell us something very important that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we need to be found in the temple. We need to be found in church like God doesn't want us to get saved and then just and just be on our own. He puts us in the church where we can have community and where we can have spiritual family and where we can correct our wrong thinking and where two or more can agree and where we can worship God in unity and be of one mind and one heart and share things and give and and get the gospel preached through a powerful force called the church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. He finds him in the temple and he says, see, you are well again. So Jesus made him well. And then he says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. <laughs> like, whoa. So which sin does this guy have to stop so that nothing worse happens to him? Because he's probably got a lot of sins like you and me. Here's the point. Jesus isn't saying to him, be sinless now, because Jesus would not tell somebody to do something that's impossible for them to do. So what is he talking about? What possibly could be worse that could happen to him. How about being able to walk, but still having the same thinking that you used to have? How about being able to walk with your feet, but you're still blaming people for why you're in the situation that you're in? How about you're able to walk, but you still whine about how nobody cares about you and nobody does anything for you? and nobody helps you 
and nobody can help you get in the water when the angel comes and stirs. See, this is the sin that Jesus was telling him to stop. It was stop acting like a victim and stop believing that you're under rather than over. Stop believing that it's everybody's fault. Stop believing that somebody owes you something. This is oppression. This is what the devil wants you to believe that somebody else holds the key to your happiness. Somebody else holds the power to your victory. Somebody else is the one that's keeping you from being all that God created you to be, from experiencing all that God created you to experience that somehow somebody's keeping you down. Somehow somebody is the reason why you're in the situation you're in. Instead of saying, hey, greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm going over, not under. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You see, there is no victim mentality in a new creature in Christ who knows who she or he is. You no longer blame anybody because you know you've got everything you need. You have love, power and a sound mind. It's what we got. Say it's what we got. Say I got it. Man, this has to be one of my favorite episodes to this point. I hope you enjoyed it today. Let's take this with us throughout our day today and go ahead and share this with somebody that you know would be encouraged by it. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.